Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of November 12th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. What say we talk about firewalls today? Long ago, back in the late 1980s, a lot of computers didn't even have an antivirus program. In fact, I told people that they didn't need an antivirus program unless they visited bulletin boards or unless they regularly received floppies from others. Back in those days, floppies were frequently the distribution device for viruses. Well, then along came the Internet, more connectivity, and antivirus programs became required. Fast forward a few years to today, the firewall is the new antivirus program. If you're running a computer that's connected to the Internet and you don't have at least a software firewall, you really do need one. Not maybe, not should. You do need one. Fortunately, there are some good free ones out there. A hardware firewall is also a good idea. But keep in mind, most consumer-grade firewalls examine only inbound traffic. So what happens if you get an email accidentally open a bad attachment, and that bad attachment installs a keylogger. The keylogger then tries to check in with its writer and send information, oh, say, for example, your user ID and password from your bank. Well, the hardware firewall would allow that. Software firewalls monitor programs that try to communicate through the network. When a new program pops up, The software firewall asks if you want to allow it to communicate. Something new pops up, you don't recognize it, you're certainly not going to give it permission, and it's a good alarm to let you know that you need to investigate to find out what's going on. Probably my favorite firewall continues to be Zone Alarm by Zone Labs, but not the free version. The price of the paid version might be more than you want to pay, And unfortunately, the free version might not play well with your network. Previously, I've looked at some other free software firewalls, Karyos, for example, Sygates, and of course the free one from Zone Labs. Well, Sygate is no longer available because Symantec acquired it and then killed it. Sunbelt purchased and then rebranded the Karyo firewall. I felt that the Sygate and Karyo products weren't quite adequate anyway, and neither was the Zone Alarm free firewall. With Sygate out of the picture, it's good to welcome the Komodo personal firewall. Now, most companies that offer free firewalls also offer paid versions that have more features. Well, you can't pay for the Komodo firewall, and there isn't a version with more features. That raises the question, how does the company make money providing a free firewall? Well, the answer is easy. Komodo's primary business isn't firewalls. It's Secure Sockets Layer Certificates. Quoting Komodo's website, Komodo's main revenue comes from authenticating web business with SSL certificates, e.g. we put the padlock on websites. The more consumers are comfortable being online and shopping online, the more businesses that will be created that will need our services. That was a hard sentence to read. There are way too many that's in there. And in addition... They really intended to write IE, which means that is, from the Latin it est, instead of EG exemplae gratia, 
also Latin. For example, apparently the PR folks at Komodo don't have a working knowledge of Latin. Oddly enough, though, most people write IE when they mean EG instead of the other way around. But I digress, as usual. On my primary desktop machine, I'm continuing to use the paid version of Zone Alarm. I'm comfortable with it. I've used it for a long time. I just like it. The Apple PowerBook has a built-in firewall that's part of Tiger, so I installed the Komodo firewall on my notebook computer. Now, if you're still running Windows 95, 98, you won't be able to use this application. As with most modern firewall products, the Komodo product works only with Windows 2000 or Windows XP with Service Pack 2. Komodo also offers an anti-spam program, a backup program, and a verification engine, a browser add-in that tries to detect phishing sites. I didn't look at any of those. The Windows XP SP2 Security Center recognizes the Komodo firewall as soon as you install it. turns off the built-in Windows half a firewall. That's good because you don't want to have two software firewalls running at the same time. They get in each other's way. You can have a software firewall and a hardware firewall running. That's fine but not two software firewalls, just like you don't want to have two antivirus programs running. So with the Komodo firewall installed and running, I visited Steve Gibson's website at grc.com, ran the Shields Up test. That's a good program to determine just how secure your machine is. Steve's site was able to identify my IP address, sort of. Actually, it's the IP address of the router. It showed all but two of the first 1,055 ports in stealth mode. Only ports zero, which doesn't really exist, and one showed as closed. The other ports are all stealth, meaning they're invisible. I got the same results with Zone Alarm. Technically, both Zone Alarm and the Komodo Firewall failed the test, but I'm not really concerned about that. Gibson's leak test also confirmed that the Komodo Free Firewall was just as secure as Zone Alarm's firewall. Komodo knows about 7,000 safe programs, so it automatically approves them. And you can have the firewall examine your computer to find those safe applications, or you can do it manually. That reduces the number of questions the firewall will ask you right at the beginning. Typically, when you install a firewall, it gets very chatty and asks about every application that tries to visit either your local network or the Internet. Komodo Firewall even allows users to define complex rules, so this is a firewall that even a, an advanced user will be happy with. You can set up a trusted zone for local users. Komodo can allow you to block network communications for a specific program. So to repeat what I said at the beginning, you need a firewall. You need a firewall. If you're willing to pay for a firewall, you won't find anything better than Zone Alarm from Zone Labs. But if you'd prefer not to pay for it, Komodo's free firewall is what you're looking for. Probably the best free firewall available. I'd give it four cats. It does omit some of the high-end features that you will find in Zone Alarm. But it's far better than the half a firewall Microsoft provides, and it beats all the other free firewalls. If you don't currently have one installed, make sure you visit the Komodo website, and you'll find a link to the Komodo website from, of course, the Technology Corner website, www.techbiter.com.
Spam, as you've probably noticed, has gotten a good bit worse recently. Some days, it's 90% of what I receive. In a test this past week, I found that I averaged 75% spam to 25% good. And I receive a lot of good messages because I subscribe to a couple of fairly active mailing lists that sometimes generate, oh, perhaps 100 or 200 messages each per day. If I didn't receive those, the spam count would be well over 90%. So I continue to look for ways to keep spam off the machine. I don't mind so much that it arrives at the server. Well, I do mind, but I can tolerate that as long as I don't have to see it. Well, fortunately, my Internet service provider uses Spam Assassin. Spam Assassin, depending on how you set it up, can examine mail and mark suspected spams, either by placing a special token in the header or by rewriting the subject line. I use the rewrite the subject line option. And I've set up Spam Assassin so that it is fairly loose. I want it to be fairly loose because I don't want it to trap any good messages. If Spam Assassin marks a message as bad, I am virtually assured that it is bad. Then once I've done that, I can have another application, either the email program itself, delete spams, The problem with that, of course, is that the messages still have to be downloaded to the local machine, and even on a fast connection, if you're getting hundreds of spams on each download, it's a bit of a clog. So I've been looking at a program called Spam Arrest. It's essentially a challenge response system, and what that means is you give Spam Arrest a list of people that you know you're going to receive messages from and that you want to receive messages from, your address book, for example, And those messages come sailing through, no problem. Messages from other people, people not on the safe list, the approved list, the verified list, will have their messages held. Spam arrest will then send them a message. The challenge message asks the sender to visit a website and type a number that will be shown on the screen. This is something that only a real live human can do. A spam bot cannot. And what that means is only messages from real people get through. Once a given sender validates his or her address, then it's validated from that point on. Or if you see a message that's being held, you can validate the person's address, and they don't have to do anything. You can protect up to five email accounts with one spam arrest account. The problem with that, though, is all of the messages need to be for the same person. If one person has several addresses, as I do, then they'll all be collected simultaneously from the spam arrest server. So users then have to use their email program's filtering mechanism to place the messages intended for different accounts in different folders. I found spam arrest to be just a little rough around the edges. It took quite a bit of time to get things working properly, and no small amount of chatter between me and the spam arrest technical support folks. Fortunately, I found the technical support folks to be interested in solving the problems and responsive. That's somewhat unusual these days. Spam Arrest does have kind of an interesting background. As recently as three years ago, the company apparently used spam to promote its own anti-spam service. That's not a good idea. 
but things seem to have changed, and that seems no longer to be the case. If you're interested in the full backstory, I do have a link to it on the website at uh, www.techbiter.com. During my test, as I mentioned, I turned off the feature that would have all messages identified by spam assassin simply deleted. So all of those messages would have ended up in the unverified box. But spam arrest has another little trick. You can actually put messages, inbound messages, directly into the trash. They're not deleted, but they just go directly into the trash. So that's what I did with the messages that had been marked as spam by spam assassin. That allowed only the much smaller group of messages that would actually be the unverified messages to go to the unverified box. One of the reasons that a service such as Spam Arrest is important these days is that most of the pump-and-dump stock schemes manage to sail right past Spam Assassin. They'll probably figure out a way to trap those at some point, but currently most of those are getting through. Well, Spam Arrest catches all of those, they go into the unverified box, and I simply glance at them, realize what they are, don't even have to open them, and delete them. Because I wanted to like this application, I probably spent more time with tech support than I usually would. Another reason for that is the tech support people actually did seem to be sincerely interested in helping to get the product running. They do give you a 30-day free trial period, and if you sign up within the first week, you get two months free. Well, you don't really get two months free because you're already getting a month of free trial, and if you sign up before the end of the free trial, you don't get the full 30-day free trial. So actually what you get for free is a month and part of a week, and then if you sign up during that 30-day trial period, they give you a free month, which is actually essentially the same as the free two months during, well, never mind. So what's it going to cost? Well, it's $6 a month if you pay on a month-to-month basis, three seventy-five a month if you pay a year in advance. That's not a bad price if you're getting a lot of spam to get rid of it. I gave spam arrest three cats right in the middle. It does stop spam, but there are some performance problems and some possible reliability problems. During the testing process, the reliability problems seemed to be solved. Try it for 30 days. See what you think of it. I sometimes complain about poor service or incompetent service. You may remember the highly trained dogs that I borrowed from some other writer. But not all service is poor. and A lot of companies really do have real people on staff who answer questions accurately the first time you ask them. One day this past week, email for all of my domains, blin.com, techbiter.com, technologycorner.com, and such, suddenly became unavailable. So I called the hosting company. The hosting company is Bluehost. They're in Orem, Utah. If you recognize the name Orem, yeah, that's the former home of WordPerfect. I called to let them know that there was a problem. I suspected they already knew there was a problem, but I never really want to fully make that assumption. I always make the call. Well, of course, they knew about the problem. The automated phone system answered, told me there were five people ahead of me, but in less than five minutes I was speaking to a support person. The answer that I got was complete, accurate, and apologetic. What I learned was that Bluehost was in the process of conducting an emergency upgrade, 
and that email might not be available again until the following day. It was, in fact, available much sooner. Service was restored in just a few hours. The next day, I received a message from the head of Bluehost, Matt Heaton. He provided a complete explanation, and you can read that explanation on the Technology Corner website. In short, Bluehost had noticed a problem, one that was so detrimental to customers' websites and other operations The changes had to be made on an emergency basis. Instead of notifying clients in advance, a process that would have delayed the emergency repairs for more than 18 hours, they made the decision to do what had to be done. I'm sure that was a tough call, but I'm also sure that it was the right call. Sending a message to all clients the following day was another good decision. Bluehost's prices are more than reasonable. The features and services offered are surprisingly good. And best of all, support calls are answered promptly. Usually when I call support, I'm talking to a technician within 30 seconds. Waiting five minutes was unusual. With a lot of hosts, you won't talk to anybody, ever. Support will be handled by email only, and it might take several days. Bluehost has been a reliable provider for me for more than a year. Based on service over the past year, based on improvements in their tech support, which when I started with them was not available 24 hours a day, seven days a week as it now is, I can give them no less than five cats. In nerdly news, Windows Vista has been released to manufacturing. It is now Vista. The name Longhorn is being retired. In the time it took Microsoft to develop Vista, Apple upgraded OS X from 10.0 to 10.1, and then to 10.2 and 10.3 and 10.4. Of course, Apple was able to start with a solid BSD Unix base and build the Apple-like user interface on top of it, while Microsoft essentially went back to the drawing board and reinvented everything. Jim Alchin, Microsoft's co-president of Platforms and Services, made the announcement that Vista had been released to manufacturing. You're not going to see it on store shelves until around the end of January. And what ends up on store shelves at that time might not be the code that was released to manufacturing on Friday, November 10th. Volume licensing enterprise customers will be able to get Vista by the end of November. So that's the code that was released this week. IT departments take that code and create customized versions for their own use. So between now and the end of January, Microsoft will also make the operating system available to PC manufacturers so they can start selling machines with the new operating system around the end of January. Do you want Vista? My recommendation on that regard, unless you like being on the bleeding edge, don't rush out to buy one of the new systems around the end of January. And don't rush down to the computer store to buy an upgrade for your existing computer. Early adopters are going to find problems. Microsoft will fix those problems. I'd prefer to let somebody else find the landmines, allow Microsoft to clear the area, and then walk in when the area is safe. Now, I didn't do that with Windows 95, but the improvement over Windows 3 was so clear that there was no point in waiting. I did wait a bit on Windows 98 because the improvements were less obvious. I was a fairly early adopter of Windows 2000 because it clearly combined the strengths of Windows 98 and Windows NT, and I was a beta user of Windows XP. Vista is a gigantic change. Service packs and patches will be released 
for at least the first few months, and there will be a flurry of them. Some things will not work as expected. I'd like to keep my production machines in production. Once Microsoft gets past the initial flurry of problems, then it'll be time to upgrade, at least for me. You may recall a few weeks ago I had a problem with Wide Open West's name server. Wide Open West is my Internet service provider. And you may recall my account of spending an hour on the telephone with a guy who claimed to be a Level 2 technician, a Level 2 technician who had no idea what a name server is, and then later an apology from Wide Open West's corporate office. Well, this week I encountered an additional problem, one that was clearly name server related. This time I did not pick up the phone and call Wide Open West to report it. I did send a message to support. The message I sent to support said, your name server is failing again. The last time I called to report this, I got an hour-long argument, so this time I'm going around your name server. I've specified www.opendns.com as my name server. The instant I did that, all of the websites that were failing to open immediately came back to life. If you don't believe you're having a name server problem, trust me, you are having a name server problem. Now, I mentioned OpenDNS in there, and I'll tell you about that in a second. At the time I noticed the problem, I had about 15 websites open. Half of them would just simply disappear for a few minutes, then eventually reappear. These are websites that frequently refresh themselves. This happens when the name server can't convert names such as mail.google.com to an IP address such as 64.233.167.18. Because the Internet understands only IP addresses, the name by itself is useless and the page would not load. Google Mail is one page that refreshes itself frequently. So when the name resolved properly, it would refresh. When the name would not resolve properly, I got an error message. Well, thanks to Gary Freeland, who writes occasionally with tips, questions, and suggestions, I had just heard about OpenDNS.com. And I'll tell you more about that free service in a later program, but I can tell you that it's definitely a service that's well worth the few minutes it'll take you to set it up. So if you're at all interested, OpenDNS.com, take a look. Oh, and you might be wondering if I received a reply from Wide Open West's tech support folks. Uh, no. Thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of November 12th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website www.techbiter.com. You can also send an email from there. See you later. Bye-bye. You know how some CDs have bonus tracks at the end with additional material, things you don't see on the index well, this is the Technology Corner equivalent of a bonus track. Here's one of the hazards of trying to record a program at home on a Sunday morning when you have a hungry cat in the room. You're not being very helpful. Cat, you're not helping. <laughs>